Welcome to issue 64 of Critical Encounters, a podcast about Marvel Champions, a living card game by Fantasy Flight Games. Here, we take a good look at the most critical piece of the game, the encounter sets. We'll discuss those poorly understood characters, unfairly labeled villains, and their various plans to shape humanity and benefit the planet, as well as those so-called heroes intent on thwarting them. I'm one of your hosts, Andrew. Or Drew, you might know me as Dr. Double Zero, depending on how you pronounce my name. <laughs> and with me tonight is Daniel. Hello and welcome, Drew. Great to have you here. Yes, thanks for having me. And also with us is Steve. How you doing, Drew? How's it going? I'm good. Thank you again for having me. Oh, yeah, pleasure to have you on the show. As everybody can hear, we have a, our guest, Andrew. Um, why don't you tell us how the community might know you, you know, like Mike would ask, so what do you do here? <laughs> um, usually what I do is I post uh, decks on the the Marvel uh, deck builder. And a lot of times I like to make sure the titles and the descriptions have plenty of memes so that people can look at something and laugh and then say, oh, that's a that's a really fun deck. And then also, you know, I'll, I'll put in some tips and stuff on how to play it as well. Um, <clears throat> some of the decks you might know. So easy, a Hulk can do it. Uh, and also, I think this is probably my most popular deck. Smells like teen angst in the mosh pit, which is a Ms. Marvel aggression. I like to post quite a few. Uh, I really enjoy making these decks and, and testing them out and trying to see what kind of cards work and things like that. And I have a background in playing like really competitive games where we kind of did that a lot. And so I'm taking a lot of sort of those features that we did in, in those previous games, particularly Netrunner. It was quite a theme in Netrunner to, to do all of these things, have animated GIFs and meme uh, deck names and stuff like that. And so I'm bringing it here and I'm glad that everyone seems to embrace that as well. I'm seeing a lot of other people doing that. They, they are definitely a joy to read. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, and then also you might find me on on various discords uh, about Marvel Champions. I'll complain about the game sometimes, or I might yell at people who are complaining about the game. <laughs> depending on the mood. Yeah, depending depending on the discussion and my mood. <laughs> but I do really enjoy talking about the game. I don't just post the decks just you know, to post them and get internet points. I really enjoy when people leave me comments and ask me questions, especially when they're, you know, like, why did you do this? You know, sometimes people ask that in kind of a, a rude way. What the hell is this in here for? But genuinely, when people ask me these <laughs> questions, I really love answering them and explaining why I have these cards. And so taking that, you know, out of the DB and in the Discord, something that I really enjoy doing is just discussing cards and strategies and finding the inspiration for my next deck. We had the pleasure to play a few games together at the LCG Con that happened a couple weeks mm. ago. Yes. And and I saw your decks in action, uh, a rocket aggression that was really fun, and I totally stole uh, and enjoyed <laughs> very much. Um, I would say to anybody out there, if you're looking for a deck and you want something fun that's going to work and you're not sure, take a look at any of his decks uh, on Marvel CDB. And you can find it at D, right dr zero zero. Great. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Dr zero zero. Drew, <laughs> a master builder. So thank you, thank you. But yeah, we've got you on tonight, Drew, for a particular reason. 
because you're an expert. Well, I am now. <laughs> in the backstory of a certain nemesis, you are now an expert. Absolutely. Yes. So what, what on earth are you doing here, Drew? Uh, I'm here to talk to you about Avalanche, who is Quicksilver's nemesis in Marvel the Champions, the living card game. Well, let's hear about him. I like how you, you qualified that as it's his nemesis in this game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think you know we'll we'll get to that pretty soon, but there's actually not a lot of overlap between these two characters that I could find. Um there's there's one really interesting story about him which is that he actually featured quite prominently in the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants in the old 90s cartoon. And I grew up on that cartoon, you know, like with Mystique and Blob and Pyro and Toad and stuff like that, and I never remembered Avalanche. When I was looking him up and I was looking at, you know, all of the different things that he was in, the different stories that he was a part of, some of the things that came up was his different iterations and the cartoons and stuff like that. And I was actually surprised uh, seeing that he was the the 90s cartoon. I was like, oh, wait, was, was, oh, wow. And I watched it recently because it's on Disney Plus. And I thought, oh, okay, (laughs) I don't remember this at all. He hasn't really made a huge impact on on me or my life, I guess. I don't know. But now I've read so much about him. I feel like I'm an expert. Have you developed some kind of like, you know, sympathy or sensitivity for this villain? Like, that's what we look for. You know, we're like, what what's our way in to loving these guys? What do you got for us? <laughs> yeah, honestly, my biggest sympathy for him is his lack of being utilized as a character at all. In so many mm-hmm. of his stories. It's just, there are all these people there. There's these heroes and there's these villains and Avalanche. He's there also. Oh. And then there's just nothing. He doesn't do anything. Always a bridesmaid. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's sort of show you an example. To, to go into this, this is his description in his one of his first appearances in the comics. It just says, Avalanche, whose touch disintegrates inanimate objects. And that's it. That's it. That's all they said. That was his entire introduction. If you go onto things like Wikipedia and all of those, you know, like comics databases and stuff where they talk about mm-hmm. the backgrounds of characters, in every single one, the very first line, it says, the history of Avalanche is shrouded in mystery because he's never <laughs> been given a background. We have no idea what he did before he was in you know, his first story in the comic books. And we don't really know his motivations or why he's there. We just know that he's from Crete, which is an island that's part of Greece, from what I understand. He immigrated to the United States, and then he lived there for some time, presumably, and then one day became an important character somewhat in a comic book story. Oh. And that's his entire backstory. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But he's got a really pretty ass-kicking superpower. Yeah, his superpower is actually really cool. And I think that, you know, his touch disintegrates inanimate objects is actually quite uh, misleading, actually, you know, uh, because he can actually do some pretty crazy things. So if you go back to it, before he ever joined, before he was ever a concept, in the original X-Men run in the 60s. In 1964, in X-Men number four, Magneto starts a group called the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. And in this Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, we actually have Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver, his children, and also Toad and Blob. 
And what happens is they are immediately defeated by the X-Men and they immediately break up. Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch then immediately go join the Avengers. And that's the end of the original Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Well, you can see like sort of a schism <laughs> probably early on. Like, I'm Scarlet Witch and I'm Quicksilver. And then the other two guys are like, I'm Blob and this is Toad. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. That seems really unfair naming wise. <laughs> yeah, it like, is. Like, blob and Toad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it seems like they just they ran out of all their creative juice. Maybe they were under a time crunch. They were like, no, come on. I need I need two more villains for this super group. We can't have just two people. Yeah. Did Toad have like a super tongue? What did he do? Yeah, I think when when he first joined, the only thing he could do is just leap really high, I believe. Is is the extent of his powers. And Blob, he was just a giant overweight person. Um I think at the very beginning, his powers were that you couldn't move him if he didn't want to let you, right? Like, he could choose to become an immovable object. And then later, his powers got a little bit more uh, expanded. You know, the both of them. Tongue, uh, Toad got his long tongue, and he could poison people with it or paralyze people with it or something. And then Blob, later on, he could control his mass and make himself, mm. you know, really dense and heavy. Well, those sound like great nemeses. Yeah. However, I would, I would like to go up against the toad. <laughs> yeah, that, that does sound interesting. However, we've got Avalanche, the forgotten, yeah, we've got Avalanche. The forgotten son. <laughs> yeah. Right. So Avalanche, he's uh, I'm probably going to say this entirely wrong, uh, but his name is Dominikos Petrakis, I believe is how you pronounce this. It says that he lived an uneventful life until one day Mystique recruited him <laughs> for the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. We don't actually see this scene happen. We don't see Mystique go and find him somewhere and say, hey, you should join. The very first time we see him, it's when Mystique reveals herself as Mystique. In the few panels before this, she's Raven Darkholm. She's just a random person who works at the Pentagon. And she has access to all of these very important people and very important documents. And then it turns out she's this new villain, Mystique, who can shape change. And then we see the rest of her Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. So she's restarted the second iteration of this without Magneto, without Toad, without Scarlet Witch, without Quicksilver. Uh, But she does bring back Blob. Blob does return for this iteration of it. We also have Pyro, who's this sort of English or Australian person. It's not entirely clear. He uses a lot of slang that's also Aussie and English. I think it was just a generic non-American dude. (laughs) Um, who controls fire, which is a really cool power, and he does some really cool things with it. And we also have Destiny, and she's listed as the only one Mystique calls friend. So again, Avalanche is left out. Yeah, so again, only this time, at least he's left out with other people. Destiny is the only person that she calls friend. She can actually uh, predict the future quite accurately. And she's constantly, her power is basically just saying, hey, stand over there. Because if you stand there, someone will punch you or something. Or, you know, <laughs> just just look to the left. And now uh, X-Men will appear. Um, handy. And so, handy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's quite handy. And it's it's quite funny as well. And then avalanche is there he doesn't really do anything but they do give him a little bit more 
in, in terms of what his powers are. They say avalanche whose touch crumbles any solid object, creating an irresistible avalanche tidal wave effect with the earth, stone, steel, and then in all capital letters to make you sure you really understand it, anything, which kind of goes against what it said before of just inanimate objects. Well, in this one, it's solid object. Solid object, yeah. So yeah. does that mean he can like touch you and you grumble? It's a little unclear. Uh, okay. In the comics that I saw, he never actually did that with people. But I imagine at some point, maybe they'll do something like that. But essentially what he does, from what I understand, is that he touches something and then he creates this kind of tidal wave, uh, earthquake kind of effect. They often describe his powers when it happens. He'll make the floor kind of go up and down, you know, like you're in a fun house or something and make you lose your balance. And it'll describe it like a tidal wave or a tidal force of, of something changing the floor. Okay. I was say kind of like an avalanche. <laughs> kind of. Kind of. Kind of like an avalanche. Like an earthquake. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> in the very first panel where we see him blob although he's joined the brotherhood of evil mutants decides that he doesn't want to take orders from a lady and refuses to take orders (laughs) from mystique and as he's doing this he's drinking from a martini glass and avalanche stands up and touches the martini glass and shatters it to show him that he means business and you should listen to mystique and somehow it's very effective well, I mean, I can smash a martini glass. I don't see how that's super awesome, but all right. Yes, but can you do it with just touching it with the tip of your finger? Well, yes, if I then nudge it off a table. <laughs> it's like I'm able to run at subsonic speeds. It's like whirlwind. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry to interrupt. No, no, no. It's okay. It's 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 very strange. We're a little confused about what exactly his role is here because then Pyro actually goes a little bit further and creates a giant flame, and that's what does it. And Blob says, "Okay, I'll follow you." Um, I think this is part of a problem of the fact that they didn't actually have a precursor of Mystique recruiting everyone, because I feel like this would have come up when Mystique first asked him to join, although maybe she was shape-shifted as as a man or something. I don't know. We don't know, because we have no context for why they're here. But this is the very famous Days of Future Past storyline, and as they're meeting, what they want to do is discuss assassinating what's his name, Senator Robert Kelly, which then sets in the sequence of events which causes the Sentinels to take over and all mutants and even all non-mutants, but mutated humans like Hulk and um, Captain America and stuff like that. Those end up being killed as well by Sentinels. And that actually, you know, going back to the 90s cartoon, that went on forever right? It went on for so many episodes. There was Bishop that went back in time who tried to stop it from happening. Then Cable came and he tried to to have it happen so he could stop something. But in the comics, it was actually only two issues. I thought it was this whole huge event, but it was actually only two issues. It's still really fascinating to read going through and doing the research on this. It was still really fun. But the comics are quite a bit different from the story that we know. Shadow Cat is kind of sent in the past, like her her uh, consciousness is sent in the past 
by a woman named Rachel, which of course we don't find out at the time, but we find out much later is Rachel Summers, um, which is quite interesting. She goes back to the past, convinces everyone that she's from the future. They then stop Robert Kelly from being assassinated. There's one battle with this iteration of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. They get defeated immediately. Uh, Destiny can't use her powers because Shadow Cat is from the future. She can't really predict what's going on. There are a few moments where she's talking to Mystique and she says, there's an unknown element. My vision is cloudy and stuff like that. But, you know, they get defeated immediately and they also break up pretty much right away. They do rejoin not too long after that, but it is it does seem to be a theme with the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants that they join together. They have one unsuccessful moment as a team and then just say, well, we've tried everything and there's nothing else to do and they just decide to pack it in. Good game, everyone. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, at least we tried. Maybe next time. Oh, never mind. This sounds like a little bit from the more recent X-Men movies, too. The Days of Future Past and stuff. I don't think Avalanche is in that those movies, though. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. Uh, I do know they were a little bit more accurate in terms of the time travel thing. You know, they actually had Shadow Cat being transported back in time. Although I think in the movie, they tried to say that it was her power that was doing it. I can't remember. It's been so long since I've watched that one. All right, what's next? Okay, so... A few years after that, in Uncanny X-Men 199 in 1985, Mystique forms what's called the Freedom Force, which is the original um, group of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants that she put together. Only this time she wanted to have a backing from the government to be funded by the United States government, kind of like the Suicide Squad, I guess, but for Marvel. In this case, it wasn't really that they were being forced to do it. She asked to do this. She went to uh, a person who was part of the CIA and asked this person to, to kind of pull some strings and make it happen. The person she spoke with said, okay, sure, you can have this. The very first thing I want you to do, capture Magneto. <laughs> Nothing hard. And she said, okay, done. Yeah, easy, of course. Capturing Magneto, totally not difficult at all. Yep. <laughs> do, they, do they capture him? Well, it's really interesting because the same kind of thing happens. They go and they try to capture Magneto. At this point, um, he's actually on more friendly terms with the X-Men. A fairly recent story right before this, Magneto was turned into a baby. And what? then someone aged him back up. It's very, very strange. I think that there were a lot of drugs involved in the <laughs> 80s when they were writing comic <laughs> stories. Perhaps more than are being used today. Yeah, it was it was very strange. It was very difficult to kind of figure out, okay, how did we get here? But at this point, Shadow Cat, she had been established as Jewish, and Magneto and Shadow Cat are together at um it's it's not exactly clear exactly what it is, but it's sort of survivors of the Holocaust or families of survivors of the Holocaust. And there are people there trying to reconnect with people that had been lost at different camps and things like that. And so Shadowcat goes up and she says, I'm speaking on behalf of my aunt. She knew this person. I'm trying to find this person. And they actually find out some more information about some of the people that she's looking for. And we establish that Magneto is very well known within this community. And immediately after this, 
the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants break in and they try to capture Magneto and they establish in front of everyone that Magneto is a mutant and he immediately terrifies everyone there. And even though the X-Men are there to stop the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants and Magneto, he's such a badass, right? Like there's no way that these random people who couldn't, you know, do it before can somehow get together and, and make it work that they that they were able to kidnap him or you know capture him or whatever. So what ends up happening is they fight for a bit, they get completely rolled, they, you know, are are kind of sitting there licking their wounds, and then Magneto says, Well, all of these people, my my Jewish brothers and sisters, they now hate me for being a mutant. And how could they not? I will go with you. And so he just gives up. Hmm. So it was, you know, task failed successfully. Good job. what ends up happening is then the trial of magneto and it was this whole long story and we kind of forget about the freedom force for a while but they end up going on a few more adventures together i guess they fight with the avengers and the x-men a few times but overall there isn't really that much interaction with quicksilver he's not really part of the x-men at this point he's still part of the avengers even when they fight the avengers uh he doesn't really seem to be there i couldn't find a story where they fought and quicksilver was actually there but in quicksilver number nine in 1998 so this is now almost 20 years later after avalanche is first introduced quicksilver is in the savage land with Scarlet Witch and a few other people, and he's trying to get the High Evolutionary out of the Savage Land. He's trying to take him out. We don't exactly know why. He just has called them here and says, the reason I've called you here, I need an escort out. He's a very powerful person, if you know the High Evolutionary from the comics. So I don't really know exactly why he needs an escort, but he does. To try to stop them are Omega Red, Pyro, Avalanche, and a few other characters. What ends up happening in this comic in Quicksilver number nine is that in one page, uh, over a few different panels, Quicksilver punches Pyro, Omega Red, and Avalanche in the face, immediately defeating all three of them, and then they escape. Oh. Well, at least at least they made contact with each other. That's enough to be a nemesis. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess so. Yeah, so. There's there's no dialogue at all. It's just a punch to the face, and then they're just gone. They've escaped, and then they don't interact <laughs> ever again. Steve, this has been the saddest Nemesis lore story ever. Yeah. It started when Drew said, and Avalanche is there. Is there, yes. <laughs> and it really kind of goes downhill for him from, yeah, from I like, think... being like, Guy in the bar number three or whatever to oh my god, this is this is devastatingly yeah. sad, Drew. Is it is there any uplift to this story? We we do have kind of a a little bit at the end. We'll we'll get there. He does okay. have a little bit at the end. Jeez, poor guy. Yeah, so far I think it's the least connected to like uh Wasp was pretty Wasp and Beetle was pretty loose and Scarlet Scarlet Witch and Luminous at least there was a connection. Um, it didn't last very long, but this is very interesting how little the two interact. Yeah, I I was very confused. And so 
I, you know, after doing all of this research with Avalanche and trying to find all of his interactions with different people, I then went to what I feel is probably the inspiration for the Quicksilver pack, you know, given his allies and his signature cards and things like that. For example, he has Serval Industries. And the Serval Industries was introduced in the all-new X-Factor that came out in 2014. In that comic run, it was about 20 issues. Avalanche doesn't appear at all. He's just not there. Oh, he's not even there now. Yeah, he's not even there. Um, this, this isn't where you get to the uplifting part, is it? Like, no, that was it's... It. <laughs> <laughs> no. And the uplifting point, he's not there. <laughs> Well, at least he can't get defeated in one panel. Things are just better when Avalanche is not around. <laughs> oh my god, this is so sad. Yeah. However, okay. Warlock is there. Warlock, if you don't know, he originally in- he was introduced in New Mutants in the early 80s. And he was quite an important part of, of that team for quite a while. And then at this point, you know, the all-new, all-different Marvel kind of initiative, they were really shaking things up. And so this X-Factor team is actually kind of interesting. The Danger Room, you know, the famous thing that they used to train in the X-Mansion and, uh, yeah. you know, under the school and stuff like that, becomes like this sentient entity called Danger. And it's it's kind of like a Sheldon Cooper from the Big Bang Theory, where it's, it just kind of speaks like absolutely, or, or, you know, maybe like Data from Star Trek, where they just speak in facts. They don't understand emotions and stuff like that. And it's it's pretty wild. It's pretty crazy. But Avalanche isn't there. There's no Avalanche. And it's very confusing. I did a little bit more research. In the X-Factor Volume 3 from 2006, this is around the time of Civil War, the first Civil War. In that X-Factor, Multiple Man is one of the sort of... Uh, I, don't, I don't say he would be the the leader, but he's. I think it's, it's him and... Um, him and Siren, I think the two of them are kind of the the leaders together. But he is there, but Quicksilver doesn't show up until quite late into the run. And he's actually kind of an antagonist for them. And he's not part of the team. And so even even within the rest of Quicksilver's pack, there's there's a few things that are quite loosely tied together. You know, as I said, multiple man, he's in this run, this volume three in the in 2006 and the all new x factor in 2014 multiple man is not there at all so there <laughs> there's there's a lot of loose threads that we're tying together here to make make this pack work mm-hmm. however in x-force volume six number nine here it comes here it comes in 2020 so last year if you don't know uh the the whole um, you know, Reign of X, the the House of X, and Powers of Ten, and all of this stuff. It's really, really fascinating, at least to me. All of the current X-Men titles are all based around this island of Krakoa, which is a mutant itself. And the mutants have established this their own nation state on this island somewhere in the Pacific. And so what they've done is they've taken all the mutants from all over the world and they've brought them to this place. And they also have this protocol where they have five specific mutants with specific powers that all work together where they can resurrect dead mutants. And what they've done is they've resurrected all of these dead mutants and they've brought them all back to life. And Avalanche is there. (laughs) 
I kid you not, you see him at a bar taking a drink, celebrating with a bunch of mutants and everything, and he has no dialogue. No one actually mentions him. The only reason you know that it's him is because it's very, very obvious helmet that he wears that no one else really wears. And that's it. He does not factor into the story at all, except we know that he's there enjoying his best life, drinking at the bar. So a, a little bit, a little bit improvement from so, you know just <laughs> he he basically goes to like Tahiti and drinks at the Cabana Club or something. Club Med for mutants. Club yeah. Med. All right. So <laughs> all right. So it's pretty clear based on this, Drew, that. Maybe Avalanche is not the best nemesis for Quicksilver. Who would be? Actually, in my opinion, his best nemesis is his own impatience. Mm. I have this quite well-known quote that a lot of people might know if you really know this character. It's from Amazing Spider-Man, where he's talking to a bunch of people about why he's so moody all the time and why he feels he's so much better than everyone else and why he's so elitist and why people are so annoyed with his personality. And he says, have you ever stood in the post office behind a woman with 20 packages who wants to know every single way she can send them to Africa? It drives you nuts. You think to yourself, why do I have to put up with this? These people are so slow. They're costing me time, and it's so damned irritating. I wish I didn't have to put up with this. Now, imagine that the entire world was like that, except for you. (laughs) And I just love how he uh, establishes this, you know, creating this kind of situation of saying there's a woman with 20 packages at the post office and I'm just wondering if, if that's something that he actually had to deal with, or if he's trying to imagine that it's something that other people have to deal with, and he's trying to find some uh, similar situation that other people have to deal with or something. But yeah, I think he's just, because he's you know the fastest man alive or whatever, I think that he's just impatient all the time. And I think we actually see that in, in his obligation. I think that makes a much better nemesis for him than Avalanche because Avalanche has no connection to him at all. But as you say, Avalanche is there. He is there. He is yeah. there. We're, we're yeah. going to see him soon. Well, let's go to these cards, shall we, Steve? Yeah, let's take a look at Quicksilver's set of nemesis cards. We've got five cards, four by title, plus the obligation. Daniel, why don't you start us off with the obligation? I will. This is this is the true nemesis. His need for speed. The obligation. Give to the Pietro Maximoff player. You may flip to alter ego form. Choose exhaust. Remove need for speed from the game. Fairly typical. Or exhaust your identity. You cannot ready your identity until your next turn ends. Discard this obligation. That second ability can really put a damper on Quicksilver's, you know, what he wants to do. He wants it ready, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think I think the, the second ability, if it triggers, is extremely, extremely annoying. However, because of his own hero ability that whenever he defends, he readies again, it's very rarely the case that I ever have to choose the second ability. I think sometimes in a multiplayer game, if I draw exhaustion and then a later person in the round gives me my obligation, then it really sucks and I have to deal with that. But I think usually it's not that big of a deal, actually. 
because he's usually ready at the time when he draws this anyway. And I would much rather just flip to alter ego with my servile industry as I can shuffle in some more always be running and then flip back. Yeah, like you said, solo, he's probably ready to defend against the villain and you ready up. Um, yeah, yeah. Multiplayer, maybe, yeah. If you're pr- protection and you're trying to uh, defend for other folks, you might be just uh, exhausted. Oh, it's a pretty standard obligation. Yeah, I do. I do think the picture's great. Me standing behind some old lady. <laughs> some old lady. Outline. Yeah. If only she had twenty. If only she had twenty packages. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, you can tell she's going to pay with cash, and then she's going to count out every single penny. And he's yep. just like, he's going crazy, like, nah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It looks like he's got like a what is it? Green juice and some Cheetos. He's just buying two things, and she's buying a whole bunch of groceries. He's probably like, I just wanted my Cheetos. <laughs> <laughs> well, Drew, why don't you tell us about Avalanche himself here? All right, Avalanche. He is unique. He's a minion. He has one scheme, two attack, four hit points, and he has the Brotherhood of Mutants trait. And then he has quite possibly the worst ability in the game, Insight 2. Then he has, when revealed, each player must choose to either take two indirect damage or exhaust their identity. And he has two boost icons. Well, his when revealed is pretty awesome. When you say the worst ability in the game, you mean the best ability in the game from a villain's perspective? Uh, I mean the worst ability because when he comes into play, his side scheme also comes into play. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But I feel like it kind of hampers on his style. And instead, it should be Insight 3. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, I, it's it's such a great ability. Um, I think every time I draw Shadow of the Past, I'm just constantly filled with dread if I ever have to play Quicksilver. Because this is a pretty brutal Nemesis set. And I think that this is part of it. This Insight 2 on Avalanche, where you, when revealed, you immediately place two threat on the main scheme. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, and then you take two damage. Yeah. Each player, right? Yeah. 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 Every, every player has to do it. Or they're exhausting. Yeah. Both abilities are great uh, vi- villain abilities. Now, generally, I like to ask our, our, you know, our celebrity expert guest, Steve, like, so what's mm. the thematic reason that so-and-so has these abilities? It sounds like with this guy, you can put anything on his card. No one knows anything about him. So why not Insight 2 and <laughs> indirect damage and exhausting your identity? Why not? That's kind of like thematically the same as turning all solid whatever into crumbles. Yeah, right? I think um, <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, sometimes what his ability does, as I mentioned, it kind of like moves the floor a bit, like you're stuck in a funhouse and kind of knocks you off balance. I can see that in terms of forcing you to exhaust. I think I'm yeah. I'm kind of probably stretching a bit in terms of how it does insight. Maybe him just being there causes you to focus on him instead of focusing on what the, the main villain's doing with their scheme or something like that. Yeah, I'm not I'm not really yeah. sure. I think I think the when revealed ability is pretty good though, in terms yeah. of he can definitely knock you off balance and Th- that to me seems like you can exhaust. It's gr- I mean, for a Lord Dud, this guy is one of the best nemeses in the game. I agree. Like, like we often will complain, right, Steve? It's like, well, God, I wish this nemesis at least had quick strike so he can do something before he dies, right? This guy does two somethings before he dies. Right. 
<laughs> he doesn't have to do anything. He just comes out. Yeah, and then and then he's at four health. So you know, it, it's not the easiest thing to take out. So may, maybe he'll stick around to punch you once. But yeah, he doesn't Doubtful. even need to though. Doubtful. Who cares? He, yeah, he who cares need, though? His, he did like every good nemesis should. Right. He did his damage when he showed up. I actually, now that I think about it more, it's a pretty good on lore. He's there. That's <laughs> his thing. <laughs> And when he becomes there, it hurts you. After that, it doesn't matter. <laughs> what he yeah. does while he's there doesn't count. <laughs> so. Yeah. And then, and then if he doesn't complete his objective, he immediately leaves the villain, and he's not part of their set anymore. He should probably have zero hit points, actually. <laughs> yeah. He's defeated right away and just disbands. Yeah. So. <laughs> All, right. All right, well, keep going, Steve. What else? Yeah, let me got? tell you what he does while he's there. He makes an earthquake. So yeah, he does. Earthquake is a treachery, and there are two of these in the set. An earthquake has insight one. I'm starting to see a theme here. And when revealed, discard two cards from your hand and exhaust your identity. It has a special boost icon, which is choose to either spend double physical resources or exhaust your identity. Oof. More threat and ex- more exhausting you discarding cards out of your hand like discarding two cards would be bad enough but and forcing you and to exhaust, it's not yeah, even and, or yeah and it's not hero it's identity so alter ego too you flipped you think you're safe yeah nope that's yeah, true safe. for for avalanche himself he's doing damage to the identity not just a hero so yeah boost is pretty solid too spending resources are exhausting if you try to chump block oh you end up having to exhaust or waste two physical yeah. resources oh. yeah that's a good card yeah, this is such a strong card. I was actually playing with a Quicksilver player last week, and there were a few times where I needed to block for him with an ally of mine, and I always regretted it because it seemed like every time I did that, this was the boost card, and it was, you know, spend too physical or exhaust your identity, and neither of those are good options. And... You know, when you when you draw it as a treachery as well, it's just so, so brutal because it does, you know, even though it's only two effects, technically it's actually three effects. It does insight one, put one threat on the main scheme. Then you discard two cards from your hand. Then you exhaust your identity. And yeah. it's just, it's so, so brutal. It's so crazy to me to have such a brutal card with no actual boost icons on it. And the boost effect, if... You exhaust it to defend, and this comes up as the boost. You can't choose to exhaust your identity, so you have to spend the double physical, right? Yeah. Or at least attempt to. Yeah, if you only have one physical, you have to spend the one that you have. Um, But yeah, if you're exhausted, you can't choose that because you can't do it. And it's just, man, it's such a strong card. Lord. Well, (laughs) let's (laughs) let's move on to the next one, Drew. Okay. I really love this card. It's such a strong card, I feel. And I think it's, um, you know, another way that Avalanche can really let you know that he's there. This is an attachment called Vibration Resistance, and it is a condition. And it says, attach to Avalanche if able, but if you cannot, you attach it to the villain. And I find that often this is where it ends up attached, and it can be really, really disruptive. You reduce the damage attached enemy takes from each attack by one. And as a hero action, you can exhaust your hero to discard this card. And that is 
such a huge cost to get rid of it. And you cannot let this just sit there. You have to deal with it. Even yep. if you only have giant attacks, like just dealing 8 damage or 10 damage or whatever, it's still such a massive reduction in how much damage you're doing that you have to get rid of this. Yeah, well, we're not I, even done. Yeah, I, I love how it's damage reduction for the villain. I mean, probably the villain most of the time. Maybe Avalanche is out. But it now, the one thing is it does say each attack by one. So things like Army of Ants that deal damage but aren't attacks can still bypass this. Sure. Um, yeah. So, so that's a little tactical play there. Finally, Tech Team has its day. Oh, there yeah, you there you go. <laughs> I, I mean, it only has one boost icon, so it's definitely a, you know, you're not, you're not worried about that piece of it. You'd rather see it as a boost. Oh, yeah. yeah, thankfully it doesn't reveal itself. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about the side scheme that shows up with him. This is extortion of seismic proportion. I don't I love <laughs> the name. Wise, based on anything you said in your story, Drew, this really makes no sense. Um, it's a side scheme with insight one. It gets two threat per player, has three boost icons, and it is a crisis. My favorite type of side scheme. Yeah. My God. You get Shadow of the Past. Avalanche puts two on the main. The Extortion of Seismic Proportion puts one on the main. And you can't throw out the main because there's a crisis icon out. Yeah, this is such a brutal nemesis set. I think that Quicksilver himself is actually really strong uh, as a hero, and he can have some really crazy turns. You know, I've done over 50 damage with him in a single turn before. And then in that same game, did over 35 damage again or something. So, you know, he, he's quite strong, but I think for the rest of the game's life, because this is attached to him, you know, as you said, you're putting threat on the main scheme, and then you cannot thwart the main scheme on the next turn unless you have something like Crisis Averted or Cable Arrow or something like that. Right. And Quicksilver doesn't have any of those in his own kit. So this is such a brutal, such a brutal set, especially, you know, right. this, I think it kind of ties it all together. In addition to all of that, you've also taken two damage or exhausted your identity. Oh, like seven <laughs> times, right? Yeah, so like, right? yeah. Not only is this brutal, well, it's brutal for everyone, right? Like, I mean, it, this one absolutely wrecks Quicksilver, right? It's a beautifully designed Nemesis set for him. Um, you know, sometimes we complain, like, you know, someone's Nemesis set actually is worse for their friends than them. Like, I've, I think that's kind of what we said about Scarlet Witch. This guy is terrible for everyone and really terrible for Quicksilver. It's like solo. If this guy comes out, that's tough. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, the two threat on the side scheme. If you're not, if you don't have your thwart up, you know, you've got to right. thwart for one, ready, thwart for one. And, and all you've managed to do is clear the side scheme. And we've had some nemeses, Steve, on the show where it's like we're kind of stretching to figure out something like who they are and like about them. This guy is a true nobody. Right, and he's and he has, and he has an absolutely A plus set. Yeah, which is synergizes so well with itself. Yeah. Oh my god, it it's, it makes no sense. Here's my complaint from the Nemesis set. It I, and I gotta have one. In every picture, he's not touching anything. So how can he be disintegrating solid objects? Well, do you I, see I, the? I think you see the post result of it. Yeah, okay. I see the wavy lines around his hands, but he's never touching anything. That that's I that's kind of funny. 
So. Yeah, I think um, not in the <laughs> comics, but I think in the cartoons, they had him where he could make this kind of like energy blast from his hands. He'd kind of put his hands out and then make something rumble, you know, in front of, yeah. yeah, instead of actually touching it. Yeah. But yeah, I think, I think in the comics, at least everything that I had read, he, you know, reached down to touch something and caused it to happen. Wow. This is just so surreal. <laughs> I mean, this yeah, I think... set is dynamite <laughs> and this guy is a drip. Yeah, oh there's goodness. actually another story I forgot to mention earlier. This, again, has no connection to Quicksilver, but I think it just encapsulates <laughs> him so well. Just just so, so well. And I'm trying to remember which story it's in. But it's in the all-new, all-different kind of wave of stuff. And he fought the Avengers at this point. And he's in New York, and he causes this giant crater in the middle of some street in New York. And Steve Rogers comes out to fight him, and he stops him. And then he walks up to him, and he says, Avalanche, you will not do any more. I will defeat you. And then Avalanche, instead of doing anything else, just immediately jumps off the cliff that he's created into the crater and kills himself. And he dies. Really? And then you find out later that Red Skull brainwashed him into doing any of it at all, into even being there to attack New York, uh, attacking the Avengers, and then killing himself. And then they just kind of... And, and Avalanche is there. We don't really know why he did this or what purpose it was, how, why specifically it was Avalanche or how he contributed in, in some way to the story. I feel like, you know, he jumps into the Casimir crater or whatever, and then you see this, like, rando guy walk up to Captain America and be like, so who's that? <laughs> he's like, oh, that guy. He's he's Avalanche. Why is he so angry? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. He's been defeated, though. <laughs> yeah, we haven't really given him much backstory or motivation, so we're not really sure why he's so angry all the time. Can, can do anything with this guy. Yeah. <laughs> An absolute um, blank slate. Wow. Yeah. He actually is quite prominent in the X-Men cartoon from the early 2000s where he's actually a mutant that's in the school and he plays, you know, like a teenage person because that version of the X-Men was like a teen drama, I guess. They're all in high school. Um, and so he's like Shadowcat's really awkward love interest. And I feel like that version of Avalanche is the most compelling because he actually has some sort of personality he actually has some sort of motivation that we can understand, and he has some interaction with the story. All of these others, it's so sad. He's just kind of like, you know, stilt man or the leaper or something. He's just some random guy that shows up in a random issue where they think, oh, well, they've got to fight someone this week. Let's throw the dart in the wall and see who it is. And then they get defeated immediately, and we never have to think about him again. I think that, yeah, that's... In terms of me feeling sympathy for this character, it's not anything that happens to him in the comics. It's what the writers have done to him. <laughs> They've done him a yeah, huge no, disservice. Yeah. Totally agree. Yeah. Like, just just being there. <laughs> wow. All right. But at least he's living his best life now, drinking at the bar with his fellow mutants. <laughs> That's right, man. Like, all's well, it ends well, I guess. Daniel, um, you had to grade this. If you had to grade this set. This is an A plus, Steve. A plus for Avalanche. This is this is the most powerful Nemesis set in the game. It, it might it might be. I don't know. I, I don't. I cannot come up with one that is stronger. 
Yeah, I think there might be some that are more specifically strong to that particular hero. Maybe, or there's like one card in that set that's like, wow, right? Yeah, this yeah, is but every this card one... in the set goes with each other and kicks ass. Yeah, and it oh and it's God. just brutal for everyone. It doesn't matter if you're Quicksilver. Yeah, each player. Oh my God, exhaust your identity. <laughs> oh, so good. Yeah, that's an A plus. Well, Drew, thanks so much for coming on. This was great. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was this really was fun. I, I'm sad that uh, our our villain that we researched didn't have much backstory, but I am really happy with his iteration in this game. I think that, yeah. you know, like we said, it's very powerful. He definitely makes an impact. He's very memorable, at least here. At least here. Even if, yeah. Even if we're not sure why he should be there. We're going to care about him, and we're going to say Avalanche. You're more than just here, you know? So there. <laughs> Steve, how do the lovely people reach us? Do you know other places that Avalanche has been? You can email us at criticalencounterspod at gmail.com. We are Critical Encounters on Facebook. You can find our YouTube channel by searching for Critical Encounters Podcast. And on Discord, we are Vardan, Big Foam Loaf, The Truth, Wandering Took, and Drew. If you like our show, tell your friends. If you don't like our show, tell your enemies. Avalanche, take us out. Sorry about the mess, he says. Frackin' X-Men.